want you to go with me uh, briefly over to Ephesians chapter 1. I just want to kind of rehearse something for you. And if you didn't hear this a couple of weeks ago, you can get large uh, and alive inside of your spirit. Uh, Paul said that when I came to you, I didn't come to you with wise and persuasive words, but with what church? A demonstration. A demonstration of the, of the power of God, of the Spirit of God. And Mark 16 tells us when the gospel goes forth, when the word of God goes forth, what's supposed to happen? It's supposed to be the word confirmed. So he didn't expect people to say, okay, we'll just take your word for it, God. That'd be nice if people did. How many glad you're a believer and you do that now? But the world out there is, is, is expecting, of course, to see some demonstration in all uh, everywhere you go throughout the history of the body of Christ, you see the word confirmed with signs following regardless of culture. How many know the word of God, the power of God is a culture breaking phenomenon? And you see the word preached and then something is confirmed. Uh, people turn to the one and the true living God. And the good news for you and for me is because Jesus was raised from the dead, that power now dwells where? In us. And Paul encapsulated that truth and he said this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance. And watch this, the hope, the expectation, the glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. For whom? For us that believe. That power is, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Now watch this. The same power that raised him from the dead and caused him to ascend is in you right now. Now often we talk about the same power that raised him from the dead, but I also want you to think about the same power that caused him to ascend. He's back with the Father tonight. He's back in his rightful place. And he was restored to that power, and that same power that restored him is in you tonight. We're blessed people. Look at somebody and say, we can't win without him, but with him, we win every time. We can't lose. <laughs> Amen. If you, if you leave this life, where do you go? The same place where he's at. And the devil can do his best, but guess what? As best he isn't good enough. So the same power that raised him from the dead, but also restored him to his rightful throne and place of authority is in you tonight. And that's what we're talking about. And that's what God is wanting you to be. God is wanting you to be more peculiar than you've ever been in your entire life. Amen. God wants you to uh, be so, so in tune with his spirit and his word that the power of God manifests and somebody says, well, there goes that weirdo again. Is that okay? Yes. Say what you want to, but you know what? Somebody was just raised from the dead. The devil was just cast out of somebody. Amen. And 15 people just got saved. A whole bunch of them got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Call me what you want. That's it. it shouldn't surprise you that people associated with the Spirit of God and the power of God are, seem strange uh, to the world, but even stranger to religious people. Uh, the further you go in the things of the Spirit, don't think that religious people are going to stand up and clap for you. Because they're not. On the day of Pentecost, when they all began to speak in other tongues, immediately the mocking began. What did they say? These men are drunk. They've been going at it already. It's not even five o'clock. <laughs> already been down to the bar. Already been sucking them back, you know. And, and what did Peter say? These men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's not even what? But what did he say? This is that that Joel prophesied about. And of course, I just want you to understand this, that uh, you've got to make up your mind that you're not ashamed of the things of God. Jesus said what? If any man is ashamed of me and my words, right? Not just of me, but of what? You can't say I'm not ashamed of Jesus and then be ashamed or reject. Now watch, if you reject something, oftentimes it's because of the spirit of fear or of shame. You cannot reject his words, his teachings, and say, I'm not ashamed of him. Jesus and his word are one. The Father and his word are one. The Spirit of God and the word are one. I can't say, I love Jesus, but I want nothing to do with that Holy Spirit stuff. I want nothing to do with that tongue stuff. You just demonstrated you're ashamed of his word. Yes. 
And to be ashamed of his word is to be ashamed of him. So a lot of religious people that are they're basically living a religious lie, thinking that somehow they love God while putting their, a stiff arm at the things of the Spirit. A lot of it has to do with fear and false teaching. We'll talk about some of that. But you've got to get to the place where you're not ashamed. Say it, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.16, to them that that believe, not are ashamed of it, but believe. It's the power of God. So it's not just part of the Word, it's all of the Word. This book is pregnant with supernatural power to bring itself to pass. So you get to a place where you cross the line, you say, I don't care if anybody goes with me or not. Say, I'm a believing believer. I'm a Word person. I'm a person of the Spirit. Say, I'm a Holy Ghost person. And not be ashamed of it. And don't, uh, you don't need to be popular, take a poll around people, around with your family. Some of y'all get to get the biggest grief from your own family. That's all right. When my sister came home, born again, spirit filled on fire for God, my brother literally said out of his own mouth, my sister's gone off and joined a cult. Uh, about six months later, I joined that same cult. It just happens to be the real deal, though. Amen? Say it with me. Born again and spirit filled. The real deal. Turn to somebody and say, you're the real deal too. Yes, you are. So say it, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Any of it. Remember what Paul said, this gospel that I preach, right? Paul was absolutely enthusiastic and on fire about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Why? One, he had been impacted by it. He had met the Lord, Ananias ministered to him. He was healed physically, scales fell from his eyes. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that he spoke in tongues more than you all. I love people that claim Paul as an inspiration, Paul's theology, and we're followers of Paul when it comes to everything but the things of the Spirit. If you're going to follow Paul as he follows Christ, and you too should be baptized in the Holy Ghost, and you too should be a tongue talker. If not, then stop saying you follow Paul. You follow Paul partially. The part that your religion will allow you to fucking, amen? Moving right along, Pastor Art, amen. We believe in all of it and we're not ashamed of any of it. That which we understand, we embrace and we endeavor to walk out. And it's never been more important to have a gospel of power, not just a gospel of words and religion. And that's what you see right now. So the bottom line is this. We taught you this. And write this down. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is, of course, the power source. We know that these lights are turned on. There are lines that run from here to a substation. Eventually they head out to TVA where the power is actually generated. That's what the Holy Spirit is. Are you going to hell if you don't have the baptism in the Holy Spirit? No, but you don't have the power fully turned on either. Your salvation is based in faith in Christ and the Spirit of God dwells in you once you commit your life to Him. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the power flowing in you and through you and we've never needed that power more. So we don't talk in terms of you're saved because you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're talking about because you're saved you want to do everything the Lord's told you to do. Um, I don't get baptized in water because it saves me. I get baptized in water because I'm saved. I don't obey the Lord because it saves me, or I work for Him because it saves me. I work for Him because I'm saved. And I don't get baptized in the Holy Ghost to get saved. I can't get baptized in the Holy Ghost unless I'm saved. Does that make sense? And so what did He do in Acts chapter 1? He told them, don't leave Jerusalem until you're what? Until you're endued with power. With what? Power. That's the power source. Say it again. Say power. And we're not talking about destructive power, TNT power here, even though we often use that illustration. We're talking about constructive, creative power. Not to make a mess of the world, but to restore the world the way God originally designed it to be. We're not agents of destruction, we're agents of reconstruction and restoration, starting, of course, with people's lives. Now, eventually, the same power is going to do more than just touch people. Amen. It's going to restore everything under His dominion. But understand this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the power source. Say, it, it's the power. He told them, don't leave Jerusalem. Now, if, if He's the Master and say He is, and He says, don't leave Jerusalem until you be what? 
and do it with the power. Does that sound like a great suggestion to you, or does that sound like a command? It sounds like a command. Paul said the same thing in Ephesians 5, be being filled with the Spirit. This is not an option for you. Any child of God that wants to walk in obedience to the one they claim as Lord and Master submits to this teaching. If they don't understand it, that's fine. Not understanding or not having teaching on something is one thing. It's another thing to say, well, that's not what my denominational handbook says, so I want no part of that. Uncle Roy said this, and Grandma Myrtle said this. Who cares? It's what God says in his word that counts. You're not following them. You're following the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he gives you a command, then guess what? You do it. Um, or it's one of those scenarios where why do you call me Lord, Lord? And don't do what I say. And this did not show up just in 2022. This showed up in the first century. Over 500 people saw him alive. Which means over 500 people saw and heard the command to what? Wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. But how many showed up? See this, the anti-Pentecostal bias showed up immediately in the early church. But those that were there and made it the early church, guess what? 100% of them embraced it. Well, I got news for you. Uh, this is coming back to the body of Christ. Um, there won't be any, um, you know, variation. There won't be any you know, uh, division among the body of Christ. And the only thing that can do that is unity of the faith and unity of the supernatural experience of, the, of what? When I'm talking about unity of doctrine, that's never going to happen. Look at somebody and say, that's never going to happen. Um, I got a feeling that all of us are going to be corrected a little bit when we get up there. Amen? Let's just pray we're not in pre-K when we go. Let's just pray that we're further along than pre-K. Uh, some people won't be. Amen? Because they got saved, they got their rattle, and that's all they want to do. They go to heaven one day. Well, hopefully we're beyond, you know, nursery rhymes and pre-K in our development. But if not, there's plenty of great teachers up there. I mean, could you imagine a faith seminar? At 9 o'clock in the morning, Abraham. Amen? 1 o'clock, the Apostle Paul. Jesus comes out at 7. <laughs> the meetings we're going to have. Amen. And let's hope that we can say amen when we get there instead of, oh, me. So that's what they meant. <laughs> so that's what Pastor meant when he preached 60 weeks on this topic. Mm -hmm. Look at somebody and say, I am getting it. All I'm saying is the power source is the baptism in the Holy Ghost. We cannot walk in supernatural power unless we experience this. That should be evident to all and, and it should be evident to you as well either by receiving the book we passed out several weeks ago that Gloria wrote, the one I sent to you by Brother Osteen by email, the book on tongues by Brother Hagen that's still sitting out there for you. We want you to understand these things. It's okay not to understand them. There's a time when I didn't know anything about the new birth or the baptism, but staying that way is not okay. And rejecting the things of God is not okay, especially in the days that we're living in right now. Say it with me. The baptism is the power source. Write this down. Number two, love is the breaker. You step out of love, the whole thing shuts down. And the gifts of the Spirit, everything like what? Just noise without power. In other words, it has a form of godliness, but it denies the power. Though nothing is done. In other words, there's no result from that. Uh, how many you know that you can have a Pentecostal service where there's noise and nothing gets done? When there's real love present, that breaker is closed, of course, and you can have the power reach its destination. Say it with me. The baptism in the Holy Ghost is the power source. Love is the breaker. Well, then what's the switch? Tongues is the switch. You can have power to your house and the breaker can be on, but if you walk in the house and say, man, it's dark in here, here's the 411 for you. Turn the switch on. There are a lot of Christians that, guess what? They've not embraced the baptism, so the power source, you know, it's not operating fully in their lives. But there are a lot of Christians, especially in Western Christianity, where they've been baptized in the Holy Ghost. They have spoken in tongues. They're walking in love, but they don't understand the real purpose and power and efficacy of speaking in other tongues.
The first thing that struck me when I was first baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues was, why does the devil hate this so much? And immediately I thought to myself, if he hates this so much and he uses religion to attack it, it must really, really be vital. And the longer I've been in the things of God, the more I realize just how vital it is. And the devil just doesn't have displeasure towards tongue speech. He absolutely hates it. Well, how many of you would like to start aggravating the devil at least as much as he's aggravated you? If for no other reason, if you want to aggravate the devil, just speak in tongues all the time. You will drive him nuts. The question is, why? Because he knows it is the power switch. We've got to find this out and, and show this by demonstrating, by practicing this, and keep that switch on. That's when the power is flowing. All you have to do to stop up the power in your life is not use what God gave you. Amen. So what do you have to look forward to? The most powerful days in your entire life. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to crank the power up. I'm going to turn the power on. Um, nothing would be dumber than to sit there in the dark when the light switch is right by your hand. Amen. But who can, who can turn it on? Only you. Amen. Say it with me. The baptism is the power. Love is the breaker. Tongues is the switch. In fact, I'll tell you this, that tongues is your secret weapon. It's also your superpower. Say it with me. Tongues is my superpower. It causes so many things to happen that are supernatural in your life. And we want to talk about those and just begin to sow those deeply into your heart. So I'm not in any big hurry. But by the time we're done with this, uh, you're going to have a deep appreciation and respect for tongues. But hopefully it will motivate you to use what God has given you. And if you haven't had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you don't have a prayer language, again, grab that pamphlet off the, uh, off the table in the back You know, when you leave. Uh, talk to some of the leaders. There's a lot of people here that had no problem laying out hands on you at the drop of a hat. And they'll drop the hat to do it. Amen. Because that's how important this is. They used to accuse Brother John Osteen of Lakewood Church of jet, you know, training people and quickly from salvation to the baptism. He goes, no, I don't do that. I try to jet plane them into this. Because that's how important it is. I see, I see the Apostle Paul the same way. I mean, just almost immediately in Acts chapter 19, he asked them, did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? Now, uh, secessionist theologians who believe these things have passed away, and those that don't want to accept the reality that the baptism is a subsequent and separate experience from salvation, they want to say that those in Acts chapter 19, those people were not saved. That they got saved that day. Well, the question is, why would Paul call them what? disciples, first of all. And he said, had, did you receive the Holy Spirit, what? Since you believed. They were already believers. It takes a lot of dishonesty with Scripture to say the Ephesians were not saved. And more than a little bit. That's how deep the fear goes of this experience and the gifts that go with it. I tell you, it's great just to sit back and say, Lord, whatever you want from me, I want. Amen. Amen. Just say that right. Lord, whatever you want from me, I want. And in abundance. It's your superpower. Some people wonder why tongues. Well, first of all, we're made in God's image and we're speaking spirits like Him. The tongue is the seat of our authority. The tongue controls the direction in our lives. And the tongue is also the most element, the biggest, you know, I'll put it this way, it is the element in our lives that is in the most need of taming. Amen. There are other errors in the taming in your life too, but the tongue is the one that is the most unruly. And of course, the Bible says no man can tame it, but how many know God can with spiritual things? Like the Word of God, like with praise, like with speaking in tongues. So say it with me, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, any of it. You say, well, you know, I just don't want to be a part of that stuff. Am I going to go to hell? Of course you're not going to go to hell because you reject this. But you're not going to live at the level God intended for you to live. And you're not going to accomplish through your life the things that God would assign you to do. You'll be missing a, a very big part of the spirituality that Jesus thought was important enough to tell them, don't leave without it. Amen? Carl Malden used to say, don't leave home without your American Express. Jesus says, don't leave home without the Holy Ghost. Amen. And there's a reason for that. 
So what I want to do with you first is just talk about uh, each of these narratives briefly. Because it's important for you to see that the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the, the evidence of that experience are perfectly biblical. It's, it's absolutely irrefutable that the experience is biblical. You need to know that? Yeah, because not only do you need to have it, you need to know how to explain it. Uh, there was one person in college, this young lady that uh, was raised up and uh, really antagonistic to these things. And I'm like, Lord, how can I explain this in such a way that uh, she'll grasp it? And Lord just said, just open up the Bible and read the narratives and then ask her if she wants this over what she was taught. Once she heard it was the Word of God, bypassed all of man's thinking. It's amazing to me that people will read books. Ravenhill called them dead men's brains. You have more stock in dead men's brains in books than you do in the living Word of God. Um, uh, she was all in. And at that moment, faith rose up. God baptized her in the Holy Ghost, and her life was never the same. Amen. Glory to God. It's fun to see God work. I got a, got a call from uh, one of our members. They said, Pastor, our son's made some bad decisions, and he's sitting in the Callaway County Jail. Would you go down and minister to him, pray for him? I said, sure. On the way down there, the Lord just spoke to me. All he needs is the reality of the Spirit of God in his life. He deeply in his heart, he loves the Lord, but he's not making good choices. He needs the power of God. I said, so what does that mean? I want you to pray for him to receive the Holy Ghost. You mean he's going to be sitting on the other side of glass on a telephone. I'm going to be sitting on the other side and you want me to minister the baptism of the Holy Ghost in jail with the guard standing behind him. <laughs> you know, me on the other side. Yes, that's exactly right. So I said, all right. I said, uh, you know, this is what you, you know, the Lord says you need and um, I want to pray for you. And I said, do you want the Lord to baptize you in the Holy Spirit? And he said, yes. So I just prayed a simple prayer, you know. He rededicated his life and I prayed a simple prayer and the power of God hit him. He was just holding the phone just like this in jail. And the power of God hit him so strong, he just literally released the phone. It fell <laughs> on the table. And when he picked it up, he was babbling in tongues like he'd been speaking in tongues for 50 years. That's our God. Um, it was a couple, two or three years later that she wrote me back. She said he never turned back. He just... Just kept on walking with God. That's the power of this experience. It doesn't make us perfect, and it doesn't make us better, but it empowers us, you see, in so many ways. And so what I've come up with through the years is a very long list of the things that this actually does in our life. And um, we need to know that to, so that we can say to ourselves, you know, to not use this ability is very foolish. To have all these things that will open up to us it just should encourage us to use them all the more. So go to Acts chapter 2. Let's do a brief review of this. Everybody say, thank God, thank God. for the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Chapter 2. So these people obeyed the Lord and they were gathered together on the day of Pentecost. And don't over-spiritualize uh, or vilify the term Pentecost in your mind. All it means is what, church? 50 days later, okay? On the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blood of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, how many? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. How many? All of them, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. How many spoke in tongues? All of them. So if I were to ask you if you had to take a test right now, in Acts chapter 2, what was the evidence that somebody was baptized in the Holy Spirit? You would be right. You would get a gold star and a sucker. Amen. Acts chapter 8. Look at verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of the Lord, now we're talking about the Samaritans, half Jewish, amen, half Gentile. We're talking about what they called half-breeds are very much uh, superior in their mindset. There's a lot of racism here, but how many understand nothing will cut through racism like the Holy Ghost? When they heard Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, now why did they come? They're already saved. So why were the apostles sent there? 
for this very purpose. That's how important it was in the early church, that they had the same thing everybody else got in Acts chapter 2. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. Very next verse, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of hands, apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Come give me this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. What was it that told him they had received the Holy Spirit? Now we don't have the definitive answer in this particular narrative in Acts chapter 8, but who wants to, who wants to give somebody money if there's not a definitive response to receiving the Holy Ghost? If they got a nice peaceful look on their face. Outwardly, physically, nothing happened to me the night I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. The only thing that happened to me, tangibly, that could be discerned was speaking in tongues. I didn't fall down, foam at the mouth, run around the room. I didn't see angels descending and ascending. All I had was what? I don't diminish it. I'm just simply telling you that we can tell from the other four narratives that what happens when somebody's baptized in the Holy Spirit, they receive the ability to supernaturally speak in a language they never learned. Not a perverted earthly language. God can do that and has done that specifically in, in the context of missions. But we know that this man wanted to buy the power that when he laid hands on others, they would receive the Holy Ghost and they would evidence that by speaking in other tongues. Of course, how many know the apostles weren't thrilled with his motive? Well, of course, he was rebuked because of that. Uh, he thought it was a means to, to gain in his own life and wanted to use it that way. Uh, say it with me, Acts chapter 2, they spoke in tongues. Say it with me, Acts chapter 8, something happened. Amen. That's why the scripture tells us to, to search the scriptures and compare scriptures with the scriptures. That gives us the full understanding of any kind of doctrine or belief system. In Acts chapter 9, a very brave man named Ananias was sent to Saul who had just met the Lord on the road to Damascus. And uh, we'll pick this up in Acts chapter 9 verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may again be, as you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, watch the progression here. He gets saved, then he gets baptized in the Holy Ghost, he gets healed, and then he gets baptized in water. Amen? Same thing basically happened when it came to, to my life. I knew about the Lord, had understood the Lord, but I actually got baptized in water after I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. So don't get all religious and doctrinaire about these things. The question is, did anything else happen in Paul's life at this moment? Well, go to 1 Corinthians 14. And let's find out if anything did happen to him. Chapter 14, verse 18. Listen to these words. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct other than 10,000 words in a tongue. He's talking about the corporate meaning of the body, the need for edification so that we can understand what God is saying in the native tongue. So in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God came on them and spoke in tongues. In Acts chapter 8, say something happened. In Acts chapter 9, we also know that Paul not only was baptized in the Holy Spirit, was healed. What else did he get? We also know that he received this, this devotional language. Go to Acts chapter 10, which is exciting because this now spreads definitively into the lives of Gentiles. In other words, it's for everybody. In this uh, context, 
the, uh, the apostle is preaching. Uh, Acts chapter 10. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. What a meeting. Amen. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished. Do you see what God's doing with the Holy Spirit? Breaking down barriers and walls between people. The circumcised believers, the Jews who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on them. How did they surmise the same gift had been poured out on them? Here's the answer. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. How do we know when somebody has received the baptism in the Holy Spirit? They will, according to the biblical record, speak in tongues. In other words, that must have been quite, uh, quite challenging and a teachable moment for the Jews to find out, you know what, they really are just like us. Because they got the same gift and the same result. Go to Acts chapter 19 and you'll see the same pattern here. The fifth narrative is found in Acts chapter 19. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived in Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. He found some what? It doesn't say he found some heathen. He found some pagans. He found some what? Disciples. He found some disciples. And watch this. What's the first conversation that comes up? How about that UK basketball game, guys? How's the weather here? Uh, aren't the, aren't, isn't the pollen terrible this time of year? Can we sit down and have a meal together? What's the first thing that comes out of his spirit? You know, the, the, the modern Pentecostal charismatic church has almost made this an appendage. It ought to be on the forefront of every believer to share the same thing that God gave you. It ought to be on our lips very, very quickly. Okay, you're saved now. Praise the Lord. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? This amazes me. How many understand Paul had the knowledge and the education and the revelation to talk about a lot of things? But the first thing he wants to talk about is have you received the power of God? And it says, he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. That was me. <laughs> How much revelation did I have? Zero revelation about the things of the Spirit. They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance he told the people to believe in the one coming after him that is in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. The difference of the, the baptism of John is a, is, a, is a baptism dealing with the repentance of sin. The baptism for the believer is one that expresses confidence and faith, identification with Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So it's not like these guys were dirty and you need to be rebaptized constantly. Uh, like a false doctrine that floats through the Bible belt where if you join a certain church, then you have to be rebaptized because your, baptized, your baptism didn't take in that other church. Um, moving right along. When Paul placed his hands on them, again, you see the transmission in Acts chapter 2, the sovereign move of the Spirit of God upon those that obeyed God. You see... When Peter preached, the Spirit fell on them. But you see, in, in Paul's case, and in Acts chapter 19, what is Paul doing with these people? The same thing that Ananias did to him. Laying hands on them. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they what? They spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. There were about 12 men and all. So he finds a batch of believers, don't know anything about the Holy Ghost, and what's the first conversation he strikes up? The modern Pentecostal, this is the last conversation we have with people, if it's a conversation we have at all. 
You say, is that okay? No, it's not okay because this church is being called by God to be the, the light and the way in this area. Amen. How many will accept that commission? How important is it? Of all the doctrines he could have started with, what does he start with? You need the power of God. Now I ask you, what's the evidence we saw, again, the common evidence we see all the way through these narratives? In Acts chapter 2, it was tongues. Acts chapter 8, we don't know, but somebody was so overwhelmed by what he saw and heard, he wanted to give money for it. How many know people don't just throw their money away? Acts chapter 9, we know because of 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 18, Paul received and spoke in tongues more than all of them. We know according to Acts chapter 10, you know, Peter, while he was preaching, the Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues. Acts chapter 19, they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Say it, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's what? It's the power of God unto salvation or soundness to them that believe. And yet, the war on this experience has been going on a very long time. And, you know, um, when someone says they, they, they don't want to receive something, uh, and, or if they don't believe in it doctrinally because they were taught against it, all it takes is for God just to blow in their lives. Amen. And they can, God can change their theology instantly. You know, the man with a biblical experience is not the mercy of a man in his man-made doctrine. Ever. It's just not, it's just there's no contest between the two. So, what is the, the purpose of this? And, and why does the devil lie through this? Uh, why is it so vehemently opposed? Well, let me just give you some of the lies the devil has used through the years. And these, you need to be familiar with these so you know how to deal with them from a spiritual and scriptural standpoint. Number one, one lie is tongues have passed away. We know according to 1 Corinthians 13, when the perfect comes, these things will pass away, but the perfect does not come. Who's the perfect? The Lord himself. You will not need tongues or any other gift of the Spirit. On the other side, you'll operate in, in immediate and supernatural, accelerated faith. But you need these things right now. So tongues have not passed away. And if they have, then they need to cart all of us over to, you know, Hopkinsville immediately and lock us up. And we're not alone. Um, they're arguably hundreds of millions of, us, uh, millions of us now on the earth. So we're in good company. Um, the problem is nowhere is this more marginalized than in the West. Western Europe, Canada, and the United States. And there are only so many people that actively believe this doctrinally, and out of those, even a few that actually practice this and actually try to lead people into this experience. Uh, you can see why the Holy Ghost is going to have to sovereignly move throughout the land. People have bought into the lies that these things don't matter or they somehow have passed away. They've not passed away. We need it more than ever. If they need it in the first century, what about us? All the deception that's out there, all the supernatural warfare that's out there, we need these things less than the first century church? I don't think so. Number two, tongues are not for everyone. No, Peter said in Acts 2.39, for all who believe, no matter what generation they live in, tongues are not for everyone. It's a lie. I remember when Jerry Henley and I prayed for Timothy, he was two years old, over in the church over there, his hand, little hands up in the air. Jerry laid his hands on his chest, I laid his hand, my hands on his back, and right there and then, the Lord baptized him in the Holy Ghost. Just a few weeks later, he was riding in a shopping cart at Walmart with my mother-in-law. And in the middle of the aisle, he just burst into tongues. And if people didn't know what was going on, my mother-in-law had to announce it. He's speaking in tongues. <laughs> I don't know exactly what she was feeling at that moment in time because she was not real open to things. She got spooked by them. And so whenever a special speaker would come, she would sit right back there in the very back row, as far away from the action as she possibly could get. And a friend of mine, prophet of God, Ron Smith, who was very proficient at ministering the baptism to other people, uh, had a call. And the ones that came down, I, Jerry Henley and, um, 
and, and, and Ron Smith personally in my personal life, these two people are more proficient than anybody I've ever known in getting people baptized in the Holy Ghost. And I had Tammy to that list. But, uh, I mean, sometimes he'd just look at them and they just burst into tongues. But if he laid hands on you, you were going home filled with the Holy Ghost. It makes sense. And uh, I remember he, one time he had an altar call. This is before he went home to be with Jesus. And, of course, Dorothy didn't respond. She felt back there kind of protected away, thinking, ah, oh, he'll never get me. And so what did Ron do? He just kind of just made his way back to the very back row, <laughs> laid his hands on her head, and bam, she received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Amen. I told you guys a couple weeks ago about the, the line we had over there in the dome, and they were stretched from one side to the other, and from the left side, boom, 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 all the way to the right, they received the Holy Ghost. And every once in a while, maybe three or four didn't receive and one of them didn't receive, told me one day, he said it'd be a cold day in H-E-L-L before he ever spoke in tongues. Guess what happened that night? He went home baptized in the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues. Um, no, it's not a, a bad thing, but where do you get that mindset at? To be so resistant to it. Somebody told him a lie. And how many of you know the devil didn't show up, pitchfork and all, and say, guess what, I'm going to lie to you all about the Holy Ghost. It comes through people. The lies come through people. Some intentionally that way, some ignorant of the truth. It doesn't make any difference. A lie is what? A lie, and it'll work the same result, destruction in our lives. That's why I was kind of blessed coming out of Lutheran, because you know, we weren't pounded against these things in the Lutheran church. There was just a vacuum there. There was no knowledge, no teaching. They didn't want to engage those things. And in fact, they were ordered by the synod that we were in that preachers were not supposed to talk about these things publicly, uh, even though many of them were, were in fact, spirit-filled. Well, um, tongues are, are for every believer, regardless of background, regardless of how old in the Lord they are. If they're hungry and thirsty, that's what Jesus said. If any man thirsts, let him what? Come unto me. Born again and thirsty, write this down. You want to know what the, pre the qualifications are for the baptism? Born again and thirsty. I know that's so hard to reach to, isn't it? No. If you're born again and you're thirsty, then that's the only thing you have to have going for you to receive. Number three, tongues are of the devil. He speaks in tongues as of the devil. That wouldn't always amaze me. And I've heard people actually say that out loud, release that from some doctrinaire preacher somewhere. They heard that from somebody. Tongues are of the devil. And it always amazed me because I served the devil for 18 years, never spoken tongues once. You would think if I'm serving the devil, I'm going to speak the language of the devil. Never happened. So the night I give my life to Christ, three days before my high school graduation, and the Lord baptizes me in the Holy Ghost, and I start speaking in tongues, that's of the devil? The problem with saying stupid things like this, that's as close as you can get to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit without crossing that line. And what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? It means to attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil. So it's best if you don't understand something, keep your big blab mouth shut. Because it can have eternal consequences for you and other people. Does that make sense? Turn to somebody and say, keep your big blab mouth shut. I can assure you that it is not of the devil. But I mean, think about that. I mean, you're, you're the devil. I've got to stop this. You know, this is getting out of hand. We had... You know, 120 upper room, and now it's spread to Cornelius' household, and now they're getting it in Ephesus, which was the largest church. You know, Rick Renner teaches great about this in the entire world at the time. i got to stop this. So what do I do? I know. I'll tell them it's of me. And then nobody will want it. <laughs> I'm telling you, he fears this more than any dimension of your life. Number four, tongues are only used at the time of spirit baptism and for special occasions when I get a holy goose bump. Now, write this down. Tongues is a resident gift in you. That will be with you your entire life on this earth. And it can be used not at his will, but at your will. 
In other words, when he baptized me in the Holy Spirit and he gave me this ability, that was his will. Now it's up to me. You know what the problem is? A lot of spirit-filled believers will not to speak in tongues. Or they've gotten lazy or indifferent about these things. You know, my job is going to be like a, a cow prod here. I'm going to keep poking and poking and poking and poking and poking and poking and poking until we get to the place where we're supposed to be. Don't look at me in that holy tongue. This is important to God's end time plan for you, for this church, for this nation. Oh, he's done with this nation. No, no, he's not. Our greatest days ahead of us as being operatives of the, of the church of Jesus Christ are right ahead of us. So don't listen to the lies out there and what the media says and what people that have lost their hope and lost their way and lost their vision. You're listening to the wrong voices out there. Say it with me, tongues is a resident gift for any person baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're to use it as long as you live. And you use it at will. Anything contradicts you know, that statement is, is an operation of the lie of the enemy. He would want you to think, well, it's only when I feel really inspired or when things are really troubling or when I'm completely hopeless and I can't know. Um, you spoke in tongues as initial evidence when you got baptized in the Holy Ghost, and certainly that is true, but that was the starting point. That was not the end point. That was just the start of your journey. Amen. Here's another lie. Tongues have little or no value for us today. No, tongues are needed more than ever today. We need more wackos for Jesus. Amen. That's just, it's laughable, but that's what people think. Well, you know, we've got church, and we've got the word in our native tongue in English, and, you know, we're blessed people. We don't need these things. You're missing the point. That's only one part of the equation. How many believe that Paul had a command of the word? Yeah. Raise your hand if you think Paul had a command of the word. And yet, what was the first thing he wanted to talk to them about? Can't you just see him showing up? Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy. I want to talk to you about some things. Uh, turn over the scroll in Isaiah. Let's have a Bible study. The first thing. Look at somebody and say the first thing. How do you know the first words matter? The first words that God ever spoke over us as a, as a creation were words of the blessing. The first thing Paul wants to talk about with the Ephesians is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, getting them filled with the Spirit, and getting them the same gifts that he operated in. Amen. Number six, here's another lie. Tongues are only for certain denominations. No, they're for every denomination and for non-denominations. Today, uh, people brag about not being denominational. And they've just about exhausted the, the vocabulary of calling a church or naming a church. Everything in the world in front of church. Light church, victory church, faith church, hope church. Amen. <laughs> and on and on it goes. One of our college students moved to Nashville and was trying to find a church there in Nashville. So they opened up, you know, remember what the yellow pages used to be? You know, the book they used to have? Something like, what? Yellow pages. <laughs> and he opened up the church looking for a church, and there was a church name the Church of the Seven Candlesticks. <laughs> and not much information, um, no address. There's a phone number. No details. So they were intrigued. So they called up the Church of the Seven Candlesticks. Um, well, can you, can you tell me what you believe? No. Uh, can you tell me where you're located in Nashville? Sorry, I can't. <laughs> I mean, just, just weirdness going on out there. It's almost like I want to be as non-denominational as I possibly be. Well, you sound non-denominational, but I'm going to trump you with a name that's more non-denominational than you. It doesn't make any difference. Listen to me carefully. If you are non-denominational or whatever you are, and you pick a name that sounds real edgy and kind of contemporary and relevant, and you're just as dead as my old Lutheran church, it doesn't make any difference you picked a non-denominational name. You're the same. You have a form of religion and godliness, but you what? You know what? I just assume we all went back to denominational names as to pretend we're something because we chose a different name. 
that make sense? Uh, the day we picked the name Hope Harbor Church was really a God thing. Um, we asked the people what one word describes what you believe our mission is. And I mean, everybody in that focus group from 22 different denominations in our church. Everybody say, praise the Lord. I tell you, it's fun to have diversity like that. Yeah. Amen. Now, sometimes you have to reel people in because they get off on stupid stuff. But, you know, overall, they picked hope. And then, the, you know, second or third meeting, you know, Harbor came up because of the idea of a safe place to grow and, and be established and then be sent back out again to, to reach the world for Jesus Christ. And the man that built this, this building, he's with Jesus now. He was a board member of another church and involved with four or five different search committees and lived long enough to know how religion works and how denominations work. He, he called me up. He said, how's everything going? I said, it's going great. Uh, I said, we finally put a, a sign out there. He says, yeah, I saw that. He goes, well, I'm just kind of interested, you know, because I've been in church leadership all these years. He goes, uh, how in the world did you do that without splitting the church, changing from a denominational name to this generic name? And how many know hope is a message people need right now? There's no question about that. And I said, well, we had a focus group of about 24 people. They represented 20 different denominations. And they prayed and they got together and they put these names out there. And this is what they felt the Spirit of God was saying. Then they came back and added the second part of that harbor. And I said, uh, that was unanimous. And I said, it was like 98% approved by the rest of the church. And the person that didn't vote for it wanted assembly still somewhere in the name, you know. And again, it doesn't make any difference if you have assembly in your name if you're not a full-blown charismatic Pentecostal church operating in power. Does that make sense? <laughs> and he got real quiet and he goes, well, I'll be blankety-blank. <laughs> okay, okay. He was so stunned that 98% of a church would approve a change in name that this ex expletive just came out of his mouth. I never said anything to him. Amen. Amen. Such a great job on the building. Amen. Most people don't know this, but the architect left off the marble and all of the window seals on the designs and on the specs. He went out on his own initiative and had them cut and installed at his own dime just to be a blessing to the church. So whenever you see a window and you see the, the folding in there, he just gave that as unto the Lord. So I'm not picking on him. It was just a funny thing. It was shocking to him because he said, you know what? If we tried that over at such and such Baptist church, it would split right down the middle. Amen. That's one of the ways you know you're headed in the right direction. But listen, a name doesn't mean anything if there's no power there. Amen. Has nothing to do with it. Anybody here raised the Catholic? Raise your hand. Anybody here raised the Baptist? Raise your hand. Methodist? Luther, heathen. <laughs> and how about that? And yet, you go what? All spirit-filled. Church of Christ, got that one. Get some over here, yeah. Amen. I see that hand. <laughs> Amen. Number seven, tongues are required for salvation. Now, that's a false doctrine perpetrated by an offshoot of, of Pentecostalism. Uh, your salvation has nothing to do with the baptism in the Holy Spirit or with tongues. Do not go into error over this important thing. You're saved because of faith in whom? Jesus. In Jesus. And then number eight, tongues make you more spiritual than others. No, it's the fruit of the Spirit that does that. But I will say this, tongues will make you more powerful than the average believer who rejects us. Amen? So what does this do? Say it, the Holy Ghost is the power source. Love is the switch. And that kind of combines with the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? Right? I mean, it's, a, it's the breaker, rather. And then what is the flip? The switch is your, your tongue speech. And so that's when the power begins to flow. The question is, what does it do? So let me just give you one or two of these, kind of what's your appetite, and then we'll just close in prayer tonight. Number one, tongues is the initial sign or physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's proof someone has received the Holy Spirit. There are other proofs that happen when someone receives the Holy Ghost. Um, your eyes are opened up to good and evil. Uh, you'll have a voracious hunger for the Word of God when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost. You'll have a great ability to discern things that you didn't have before. All kinds of things happen, but the initial physical sign 
that'll happen is you will receive the Holy Ghost with tongues. And so when we're ministering to people, we look for people to express the gift they've received in this way. Shouldn't surprise you that. Um, but in some people's minds that are raised up in Pentecostal churches, that's as far as it went. Praise the Lord, but know you're filled with the Spirit. No teaching on what to do with it. No understanding of how powerful it is. Just look, God and bad. Praise the Lord. And some of you have read Brother Hagin's book on, uh, on tongues or having our staff read it right now. But you know, some people telling you to hold on. Other people telling you to turn loose. Other people telling you to praise the Lord. Other people telling you to shut up. Other people telling you to this. You know, repent. You know, uh, all these ideas about what you do, but uh, no real teaching about what to do when you walked out that door. And that's where the breakdown is. It's not just about that experience. Um, I had some good teaching on that when I first got baptized in the Holy Ghost. I knew that this was not just for that setting, that one night in Carbondale, Illinois, you know, around midnight. Um, no, this was for life. And to let that flow would be to release supernatural power in my life. Number two, it's assigned to unbelievers. In the church house during a service, the God is real and the supernatural is real. Now, in the church house, it's important, of course, what Paul said, that that be interpreted. So it's not just the tongue, it's the tongue and the interpretation that is ultimately assigned for the unbeliever. The edification for the believer comes through prophecy, but demands that a, a, an audible tongue above uh, praying to yourself in a service in the Spirit uh, has to be interpreted. That's the teaching, that's the correction that Paul gave. We don't know what a Corinthian service was like. We know it was, it was lively, don't we? <laughs> Maybe the understatement of the year. But watch this. It actually is a sign. And I'll tell you this, an unbeliever comes to a service and the tongue goes forth. There is power in the interpretation, but there's also power in the tongue. And a lot of people have trained themselves just to wait for the interpretation, and you should so the mind can be edified. But if you open up your heart, power is going forth when a tongue goes forth in a service. So always keep that in mind as a child of God. That it's, it's great now. Let's just hear the interpretation. Yes, you need to hear the interpretation. You need to receive what God is saying. But you also have to understand that power was released, not just when the interpretation came, but the tongue itself released supernatural power. And you happen to be there for that particular time. Number three, tongues is what works all things to our good. Possibly the most misinterpreted, ripped out of context scripture in the modern church is God will work all things together for the good, then love him. As if it just floated out of heaven all by itself on a cloud. That scripture is in a very specific context. I want you to see this. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 to 28. Turn there and put your eyes on this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through words, wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Isn't that powerful? And we know that in all things, what's the very next verse? And we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have, called, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Romans 8, 29 through 30. I want you to see that it's fine to say God works all things to the good of them that love him and are called according to his purpose. But that is specifically mechanized by tongues. How does he work all things to the good? That's where our, our Baptist friends and our denominational friends who love that scripture, and they should, miss the application. It's not God just works all things together for the good. God works all things to the good because you what? You prayed in the Spirit. That is the mechanism for working all things to the good. So what if I reject the Spirit of God and reject tongues? I am hindering that operation of the Spirit of God in my life. Raise your hand if you want God to work all things to the good. 
Well, then you have to line up with the Word of God. Watch this. If I reject Jesus, can I go to heaven because he feels sorry for me? No. I have to what? I have to line up with what the Word says. There's one way. There's one name. I repent. Amen. Confess his name. Believe in my heart God raised him from the dead. Confess his name. Confession is made unto salvation. I go to heaven. Romans 8 has been taught in such a way that it's completely ripped out of its context. That whole context is about praying in the Holy Ghost and all of a sudden somebody's going through a tough time or a setback or a loss. Well, God will work all things to the good for them that love Him and called according to His purpose. Without even noticing that it's the very next verse in that paragraph, it's connected to speaking in tongues. Raise your hand if you really want to see God work all things together for your good. How's it going to happen? primarily through praying in the Holy Ghost. We know that God is not going to let the devil be victorious in your life. That's a principle of victory and leading us in triumph in all areas of life. But specifically, this verse is tied to letting God use you. Amen. And the Spirit of God praying through you. That supernatural power is working all things. So let's say you have a setback. How are you going to assure that God works all things to the good? You're going to pray in the Holy Ghost over that thing. If you pray in the Holy Ghost over loss and setbacks and hurts and wounds and offenses and rejections, God will work that thing to your good. And I'll tell you this, you, you'll stop getting bitter if you'll do that. When somebody rejects you, pray in the Holy Ghost. It'll work the good. Or you sit there and stew on it and get bitter. Well, God works all things to the good. You're misinterpreting Scripture. Read the whole chapter and you find out that how he works all things to your good is through tongues. If for no other reason, we need to speak in tongues profusely because of this very principle. I want his good. How many know he has goodness stored up for us? How many know that he, you can taste and see that what? The Lord is, is what? For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. How many want to crank up the goodness in your life? How much more of his goodness could we have if we just prayed in the Spirit more? Now, I just thought, you know, if I had to goosebump, I'd pray in the Holy Ghost. Or if we had a prayer meeting, praise the Lord. No. Let me ask you this. Does anybody here ever need goodness show up outside of Sundays and Wednesday nights and prayer meetings? <laughs> raise your hand if you need goodness other than church services. Can I see your hands again? I want goodness to what? Follow me all the day. I don't want to give a wide berth. Amen? It's stalking me. And I want to slow down so it can catch me. By praying in the Holy Ghost. Amen? So turn to somebody and tell them it's important. Yes, it is the initial physical evidence or sign that we've received. Yes, in fact, um, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you and I have the ability to sit in a service and watch that be assigned to unbelievers. But listen, that's just, that's just part of the package. Amen? Wonderful, wonderful reasons that we need to be using our prayer language like never before. Does everybody get one of those books by Brother Hagin? I read a little booklet. Let's raise your hand if you got that. Raise your hand if you have it. Okay. If you don't have it, get it. If you have it but haven't read it, Read it and read it again. It'll bless you. He goes over several of these things. Amen. Praise the Lord. Did you catch that uh, scripture here? And we'll shut down with this. Did you catch that in your in your heart when it said that uh, we we don't know how to pray? But what happens? He intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he searches our hearts and minds and uh, knows the minds of because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The will of God and the Word of God are one. And everything you pray in tongues lines up with the Word. Everything you pray in tongues comes to pass. I say that Jackie has a need. It could be anything. It could be a physical need, whatever. It could be a need for, you know, believing God for something. Maybe lost loved one in her family getting saved. And I go over and lay hands on her and I just pray in the Holy Ghost. You know what I just did? I just threw the entirety of the counsel of God at that situation. I threw the entirety of the Word of God at the need she's believing God for. 
Nothing in my speech will contradict the word of God. Nothing will be of doubt, fear, and unbelief. Nothing will contradict the word of God. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, you're throwing the book at that thing. How many of y'all remember Hawaii Five-O from the 70s? Book them, Dano. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, you're throwing the book at that situation. How can you not get results and victories? Amen. And here goes, you know, classical Pentecostals. I praise the Lord. Shandai. See my bow tie. Praise the Lord. When we could be throwing the entirety of the counsel of God at the situation that we're faced with. Amen. That's why the teaching ministry is so important. That's why the true teacher of the church, the Holy Spirit, is so important. Amen? You're praying for somebody that has a physical need. You're not sure how to pray? Pray in the Holy Ghost. You'll be throwing the full counsel of God at that situation. Amen? And you'll drive the devil nuts. If I were the devil, I would want God's people praying in accordance with God's will and word. That's the last thing I want. It's all lies. Do whatever I can. Get them insecure. Get them into shame. Get people to make fun of them, whatever I can do to stop them from doing it. Now, I got a, I got a sense in this church that people are going to use their, the gift of God more than they ever have in their entire lives. Amen? Look at somebody and say, book them, Dano. Throw the book at the situation by praying in the Spirit. Give them a hand clap. We'll pick this up next time.